you have your Bibles open, turn to the book of Acts. As we continue going through the book of Acts, we started with it last week. Just an introduction, a little bit of a more of an introduction as I comment on verses 6, 7, and 8. Restoring the kingdom. Restoring the kingdom. Starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that Jesus sent out his disciples first to Jerusalem, second to Judea, third to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's how it found us today, God, because the gospel has come to the ends of the earth, Father. And for the last 2,000 years, this message has been saving sinners and transforming them from the inside out, teaching us what true life is, to know you on the inside, God, and to know your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us at the cross and his resurrection, Lord God. And I thank you that this message is 2,000 years alive and well. It is still saving, it is still transforming, it is still giving hope, it is still giving peace, it is still giving direction, Father God. It is still drawing people close to you through this message. And we thank you for it, God. Now enlighten our minds so that we can have a better grasp of the restoration of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the underlying power of the gospel. We looked under what made the book of Acts work. book of Acts covers about 30 years. And we see that this message went from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And it overcame every obstacle, Satan, man or demon, unbelieving Jew, unbelieving Greek, unbelieving Roman could possibly throw at this little band of believers called the apostles. That no matter where they went, the message took root. People embraced the message. People were saved by the message. People were transformed by the message. And we know that the underlying power behind that is the resurrection and ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, when he was raised from the dead, uh, he hung around for about 40 days, did a couple of cameo appearances to his disciples. He taught them things concerning the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven, where right now, as we speak, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is in his body. This is not ethereal, this is not sort of spiritual. He's in his body right now at the right hand of God, interceding for you and me and for the Christian mission all over the world. That's what he's been doing for 2,000 years. He's not spiritual. He's in a body. He's got eyes. He's got the marks on his hands. They're still there. He's got the marks from the thorn of crowns. His feet are still pierced. But he's in a resurrected, glorified body, and he sits right at God's base. He stares at God, and all God can see when he looks at you and me is Christ. And his perfect work of atonement. 
making us sons and daughters. That's what Jesus is doing right now. And we know that because 2,000 years later, we're still being saved and transformed. There has to be a resurrection. There has to be an exaltation of Christ because you and me would not be here with hope in our hearts, being changed from the inside out, loving God, if Jesus Christ was not right now at the right hand of God. It would be totally impossible. To live a transformed life the way God has called us to would be impossible if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, the giving of the Holy Spirit. We're going to develop this a little more today about the the restoring of the kingdom of God. As we go through the book of Acts, there's many themes that are going to come up and we'll address the themes as we go through the book. Like I said, I'm not going to go through the book chapter by chapter. I will pick out themes that the book introduces us to and I will develop them as we go on. But the major theme is the power of the gospel is spread across the known world. From Jerusalem to the ends of the world, that's Rome of the ancient world, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel and those who preach it. Satan cannot, will not win. Tonight we'll speak more about the kingdom of God. Uh, We mentioned it last week, but I want to develop a little more. There's some things here as Christians, 21st century Christians, we need to know about the book of Acts. If we don't understand the first chapter and the second chapter of the book of Acts, we can be deceived. We can be deceived. We have to understand the opening passages of this book that unlocks the rest of the book. Because there are unique features that are unique to them and not to us. It applies to the disciples. It doesn't apply to me and you today. And we're going to develop that as we go through. We need to understand these things when we read this powerful book of signs and wonders and miracles and healings and the dead being raised. We need to understand that. Otherwise, we'll get caught up thinking we should be doing the same thing today. And we get away from the message and we get into all sorts of crazy stuff. So tonight we're going to speak more about the kingdom of God as we mentioned it. Uh, What the apostle asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus answers, it seems to be uh, a vague answer at first. But Jesus could have sat down with his disciples and beginning with Genesis to Malachi. And he could have explained, which most likely he has already done for the 40 days, explained to them the kingdom of God. But it's interesting, they still don't grasp it. They're thinking from a Jewish perspective. A first century Jewish mindset is all they can conceive about the kingdom of God. The new understanding needs to be both explained and experienced when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's sort of like uh, on-the-job training. It needs to unfold before them. It's much like ourselves when it comes to applying what's the two great commandments. Go for it. You're not being tested. I heard most right answers. I heard a couple of wrong answers. I'll talk to those guys later. To love the Lord God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor. Easier said than done. Amen? Now, you can go to class, and in five minutes, the kids upstairs can learn that immediately. Mentally. But to live that out takes what? It takes courage, and it takes a lifetime. The rest of our life, we're working that out. That's how it is when it comes to the kingdom of God. These first century Jews had to realize the implications and the the reorientation of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And it wasn't how a Jewish flair. It was going to be this whole new, different equation now by salvation in Christ through faith alone and grace alone. They had to understand that. Just like the two great commandments, me and you, we have to learn this on a daily basis. And we learn it through what? Trial and... 
Tribulation, we fail. How many times do we fail? How many times do we go home and go, God, I want to love my neighbor because I failed miserably today. I am not expressing the love you expressed to me, the patience you expressed to me, the forgiveness you expressed to me. I seem to come up wanting all the time. I fail miserable. I'm miserable and exercising genuine love to even the people that love me. I fail out of God. It's constantly learning. It's constantly learning. It's constantly learning. These disciples had to learn the lesson of a renewed Israel. They had to grasp that Israel as they know it, the kingdom of God as they know it, from now on was never going to be the same again. It's a lot like our lives. When Jesus comes into a person's life, it should what? Never be and that's why we call it sanctification. That's why the rest of our life we're learning how to live the way God calls us to live. We want our little ball and bat. We want life our way. And we want a pinch of Jesus in there. We want just enough Jesus to get me into heaven and then the rest of it to leave to myself. And that's how Christians can act if we're not careful. We have to learn that everything belongs to God. Even for us to understand the kingdom today is beneficial to see from the the first disciple's position. This will also serve as a plumb line for understanding all the power gifts, all the miracles, all the signs and wonders that take, uh, uh, take place in this book. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. So we don't get swept away by what others swear. Others swear that this should be normal activity in the church today. You should go to a church service and you should see the dead raised. You should go to a church service and see the blind see. You should go to a church service and see the leper heal. You should go to a church service and see the whatever miracle there is. Some people, the purists, believe that that should be normal Christianity. I've sat under it. I've heard it. Not for a year. Not, I heard it for decades. People are still swearing by it. And if your church is not experiences these in your church on a normal rate, there's something wrong with the church. There's something wrong with your faith. You're void of the Spirit's power. Unfortunately, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, how many good people I know sit under it, how many people I love, they cherish that teaching, and they all attribute it to a misunderstanding of the book of Acts. Jesus, for the last 40 days, has appeared to them speaking about the kingdom, speaking about the Holy Spirit. So it's important for us today, even 2,000 years later, to continue to speak about the kingdom, to continue to speak about the Holy Spirit, that we too might uh, remove the misconceptions we have about God. Do you know what what runs deep within our veins? Pagan blood. Pagan blood. It's represented in this room right today. It's represented in us. We want God to be what we want God to. I want want to have God created in my image. I want God to do what I want him to do. I want God to come into my life and fix me up and give me all the goodies that the American dream has for me. And then when they don't come... We get all what? We get all upset. 
So understand something. Understand in the kingdom of God, as we go through today's text and as we go through the book of Acts, will hopefully bring us back to a solid foundation of who God is and what our life is all about. We will find out what our life is all about in the beginning of this, at the end of this sermon. I want to talk about restoring the kingdom. Four things. I want to address this evening along with some application. Uh, Acts chapter 1 in, in salvation history. Has anybody ever heard of salvation history? It's called the Bible. All right? It's called the Bible. That's salvation history. It starts in Genesis and it's up to me and you today. You failed already. Okay. <laughs> We're going to speak about the disciples' unique place in salvation history. We're going to talk about their misconceived uh, conception of the restoration of the kingdom. And then we'll speak about our application about Christ's answers to these questions. First thing I want to talk about is salvation history. It's called biblical theological approach. I won't bore you with technical terms. But let let me teach you something. You and I are sitting here. Do you know why you're sitting here today? Are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? Do you have the joy of the Holy Spirit? Are you glad your names are written in the Lamb's book of life? In the world that's in chaos, do you have some kind of order and peace in your hearts? Because you know God's in control. Do you know why you have that? Because God made a promise in the book of Genesis that the serpent's head's going to be crushed By the seed of the woman. Because God made a promise to bring salvation through a Savior into this world thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago is why you and I have hope today. No other reason. God has made a promise. God has made a covenant with humanity to send a Savior. So when we're singing... And when we're asking God for forgiveness, and when we're enjoying forgiveness, and we're enjoying the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, understand something. That is because God first made a promise to send the Savior in Genesis 3.15. And from that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, and God made a promise to them, everything after that is called salvation history. Salvation history runs parallel to human history. Human history is going, secular history is going, and in secular history, in human history, God is periodically doing great things to save mankind. He gave Seth, he gave Noah, he gave the ark, he called Abraham, he saved them from Egypt, he brought them into the promised land, he raised up David, he took down Goliath, he raised the kings, he sent his son, they killed his son, he raised his son, he sent his spirit, he raised the church, and we're here today, that's called salvation history. The world doesn't see that, the world sees natural history, but within natural history, God is saved souls and filling them with his Holy Spirit and giving them the hope of salvation but it's a process though it begins in the garden though it begins with a promise of a coming savior the seed of the woman it develops slowly but surely it's a development and it starts with the seed of the woman The seed of the woman one day turns into a man called Abraham. 
and the promise gets bigger. It's, it's the seed of Abraham now. From Abraham comes 12 sons. Even though he, didn't, he couldn't have a child, his wife couldn't have a child, supernaturally to have a child, Isaac. And from Isaac now there's, there's, there's 12 tribes. And now what we have now, 12 tribes, they go into Egypt and they come what? They come a mighty nation in Egypt. And then from Egypt, they're delivered out of Egypt and they're brought into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God gives them what? The Ten Commandments. And now they become a solidified nation. They have laws. They have governors. They have priests. They're going to have kings. They have prophets. They're becoming unified as a nation. Then under Joshua, they go into Canaan. They go into the land of promise. And over here, they're being rooted in. They're living under the law of God. But over the course of over 1,200 years, guess what Israel did? They never obeyed God. And in the course of those 1,000 years, God raised up every once in a while a prophet. And a prophet was a a prosecuting attorney. And the prosecuting attorney represented God. And the prosecuting attorney would go to Israel, the nation, and say, listen, you did it again. You're sinning against God. You're not obeying the law. You made a promise to keep all the covenant. And you're not keeping up to your end of the bargain. Thus says the Lord, if you do not repent and return to me, I am going to send pestilence. I'm going to send famine. I'm going to send sword. I'm going to discipline you until you come back. Sometimes they listened. Sometimes they did not. But within the prophets... There was always this good news. There was always this supernatural good news that God would one day come and forgive them of all their sins. Radical. That God would remember their transgressions no more. Right in between the indictment that your sins are like scarlet, God promises a Savior. This is the grace of God. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. But now we finally come to Jesus Christ. And in Christ, while he was still in the womb of the virgin, the kingdom started to change. It's now God with Emmanuel. God with God with us. God has now changed everything. The kingdom of God consists of a baby in a manger. That's the kingdom of God. There's no need more for a temple because Jesus is what? There's no more need for a prophet. Jesus is the son of God. There's no more need for a priest because Jesus Christ is what? There's no more need for a sacrifice because Jesus Christ is what? There's no more need for a land because Jesus Christ gives us what? The whole world. We have a fulfillment going on over here. And it's important for us to understand that. There's a development of salvation history. We have Jesus with us. We have the kingdom of God actually with us. But something has happened. He's been crucified. He's been raised. But now he's going to be ascended into heaven. So it's not about Jesus with us anymore. When the spirit comes down, it's Jesus. Thank you. John, you're producing good students. It's not about a temple. 
It's not about going here to worship. It's not about going there to worship. It's not about laws. It's not about Sabbath. It's not about circumcision. It's not about festivals. It's not about new moons. It's not about a priest or a lamb or a prophet or a king. Everything that was a type and shadow was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now the Holy Spirit brings Jesus and the whole kingdom of God right into our hearts. We are now temples of and we're called corporately a temple of the Holy Spirit. The world will come by and maybe come in here today and say, oh yeah, I saw a bunch of people, 50 of them hanging around. Some guy was screaming about the kingdom of God. And they don't realize this is all God's about. He's not overly concerned about what's taking place in the political realm. He's concerned about what's going on in your heart and your heart and my heart and my marriage and your marriage and your children. That's what God's concerned about. God's concerned about us and our lives. This is salvation history. And it's important for us to know it's because the disciples didn't know that. They're still waiting for a king to come on riding on a white horse. This is the way for Jesus. They saw all his power. Surely, if any one man could conquer the world, it would be who? It'd be Jesus, right? Guess what? He's doing it right now. One heart at a time. My heart has been conquered by Christ. And every day he's still conquering the sin in my heart. He loves me too much to leave me the way he found me. Though he has conquered me once and for all, there's a lot of battles going on. And he's wrestling me and you to the ground on a daily basis. This is the kingdom of God. We have to understand that. And what is the disciples' unique place in this transition from the kingdom in the Old Testament under the law of Moses to the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ for the three years of his earthly ministry? Now it's Jesus in them. It's, it's a transition. And we need to know this transition if we're going to understand the book of Acts. Disciples' unique place in the transition. There's a unique features here that can never be duplicated again. First of all, they were all Jews. Second, they all lived with the promise of God about restoring Israel. It lived in their heart. They all saw the earthy Jesus. They all saw the crucifixion. They all saw the resurrected Jesus. They all saw the ascension of Jesus. They all experienced Jesus in the flesh. And now they're going to experience Jesus in the spirit. The kingdom of God will soon be in them. What a transition. I didn't see the crucifixion of Christ, did you? Were you living under the ancient promises of Israel before you became a Christian? When God found you, were you waiting for the Messiah? Or did you just come into church one day and find out that God loves sinners? That's all it was for me. Family and friends were going, my wife was going to church, my sister was going to church, born again, all this kind. I said, oh God, I got nothing to lose. I like God. Songs were saying, I cried, I, hugged, I hid in the back. But then one day I found out I was a sinner. And I needed Christ. My transition wasn't like their transition. They had to relearn everything. As a Catholic, I had to relearn a lot. But not everything. What a transition for them. 
They were moving from temples and Sabbaths and festivals and orphans and circumcision, laws and Jerusalem and Zion, high priests, prophets and kings and sacrifices. Now they're in this new age of not just the king with them, but the king in them. What a transition. All the old things with these types and shadows of a greater reality to come, and that's Jesus Christ. He came, he left, he came again by his spirit, and he sets up his kingdom in the hearts of his people, his subjects. That's his church. He rules through his spirit and his word through the church, and his people are producing, and here's the thing Israel did not do. This is why the prophets rebuked them. This is why Jesus Christ rebuked the Pharisees and religious leaders. They were not producing the fruit of the kingdom. What ancient Israel was supposed to do, what the Pharisees were supposed to do, the new Israel, me and you, started with his disciples. We started doing. We started loving God from a pure heart. And the fruit of love and joy and peace, self-control, gentleness with others, compassion with others, kindness with others, tolerance with others, patience, long-suffering, uh, all of it, all these wonderful virtues are now being expressed in our own lives towards other people. We're producing the fruit of the kingdom. Unfortunately, we're not doing a good job of it all the time, but on a whole, if you're born again, you're producing fruit. The Holy Spirit is not asleep. He's alive, well, and active. And everything he's doing is to produce greater faith and greater obedience in us. Everything in your life right now. Are you struggling in your life? Are you having a hard time in your life? Are you doubtful in your life? Are you anxious in your life? Are there circumstances in your life? Are there things in your life you wish weren't there? I'm telling you now, God has them there in your life to produce obedience, produce faith, and produce the fruit of the kingdom. He's the great engineer. He's the gardener. He knows how to prune branches to bear kingdom fruit. And not just for Israel, starting with Israel, then going to the whole world, this gospel message of the kingdom in us, just Jesus, that's it. No Sabbath, no law, no circumcision, no kings, no priests, no prophets, none of that. Just Jesus showing no partiality to all people, all nation, all tribes, without discrimination. All are welcome, full and free, by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. After rebuking greatly, Israel of his day, about 600 years before Christ, listened to this promise out of nowhere in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and buy milk, without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant by my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, a nation 
that you do not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It might not mean much, but what's going on here is the gospel message. This kingdom in you is going to people that have no idea who God is. They're not looking for God. They're not praying to God. They could be atheists. They could be crack addicts. They could be religious people. It makes no difference who they are. It's not that they're looking for God. It's that God is looking for That's the message. And this was a unique situation. They had to relearn what the kingdom of God was all about. And it took the apostles time to work this out. It took them actually to the... the truth, it took them to the chapter 15 of this book to finally find out, oh, God is saving the Gentiles. Ah, it's not just for Israel. It's for the whole world. They had to flesh it out. They were looking for an outward, external kingdom, the restoration of Israel, which one day it's going to happen when he returns again. But God was setting up the most important aspect of any kingdom. The most important aspect of any kingdom that could be. Obedience in the heart of his people. That's what God is doing. This starts here and now upon salvation. And will be perfected in the new heavens and the new earth. The third point here is that they thought Jesus was going to restore Israel. It, it, was, it wasn't inclusive, it was exclusive. It had nothing to do with the rest of the world. It was just little Israel. God's going to restore Israel to its proper place amongst all the nations. That was their perspective. All it was was a Jewish kingdom, external, had nothing to do with the heart, had nothing to do with the rest of the world. They forgot the promise to Abraham that all the world would be blessed in Abraham. It's easy how we can have selective hearing, isn't it? Isn't it easy to go to the Bible and pull out a couple of verses, make you feel really warm and comfortable? God has a hope and a plan for me while I'm living in sin. No, God has a hope and a plan to bring you to salvation and make you holy as He is holy. It's amazing how people just really cherry pick this. Oh, that look, oh, that sounds cool. Look at this. You'll never leave me in the Satan. I like that one. Oh, no condemnation. Oh, I'll take that one too. Oh, pick up your cross. Oh, we'll leave that one for, for the other people. We'll leave them for the born agains. They like that one. We'll leave them for the, for the evangelical Baptists. You know, they like to pick up their cross, you know. Oh, he's going to fill me with the spirit. Ooh, the charismatics, they'll take that one. Huh? And signs and wonders will follow. Oh, I'll take that one. I'll like that one too. And we got this cherry picking going on. But the, the apostles did it. They were cherry pickers. They loved everything that said Israel. And they lost sight of every promise that said the Gentiles and the rest of the world. If they could make that mistake while they followed the resurrected body of Christ. Do you think that you're sitting in this room with a pure theology today? Do you think anybody in this room is sitting here with a pure theology that you haven't cherry picked? the kingdom of God and try to make God what we want him to be I can fly I have to read the Bible every day I have to study the Bible I have to pray every day and every day I'm like oh my goodness the pagan within 
Sounds like a good sermon, Pastor John. The pagan within. Because that's what we are. You know, it's interesting about questions. A question often reveals a, a person's spiritual whereabouts. Questions, you can listen to questions and all of a sudden draw, not a final conclusion, but you can get some understanding of where a person's at just by questions. And that's what's going on here. They ask the question. Jesus mildly rebukes them. Listen to a commentator by the name of John Stott. He breaks down their question like this. The verb, the noun, and the adverb and their sentence all reveal doctrinal confusion about the kingdom. For the verb restore, he says, shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. The noun Israel shows that they were expecting a national, patriotic kingdom. And the adverbial clause at this time shows that they were expecting its immediate establishment. Jesus corrects their mistaken notions. Personally, for me, and I agree with John Stott, I personally assume that after experiencing so much supernatural revelation about the resurrected Christ, listen, Think about it. For 40 days, you saw Jesus Christ walk through doors. You saw Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Wouldn't it be natural to conclude that the kingdom of God is right around the corner? Wouldn't you? Of course you would. Of course I would. There's nothing you don't believe when you're born again. When I was born, I believed everything. I was here laying hands on dead people and this. I thought everything was going to happen. I believed in everything because I was so in love with Christ. I thought these things were real. I thought they were all going to happen immediately. And this is where our application comes in. It comes in from the start. Personal experience is not the criteria of doctrinal truth. Personal experience is not the criteria of what the will of God is. Feelings aren't the criteria about what the kingdom of Christ is. It is the word of God and not our feelings. Period. End of the story has nothing to do with our personal experiences or our feelings or our desires. The apostles made that mistake. All of us have made the mistake. Only the word of God establishes the truth. And Jesus is not revealing new things about the kingdom. They were already in the Old Testament. Jesus is speaking to them in a biblical way. He's correcting their error by Bible teaching. You don't come against one feeling with another. Jesus could say, well, but my feelings are about the kingdom or this. It's not about that. It's about something has been established in the word of God. When it comes to people speaking about the kingdom, please understand something. Don't just say yes and amen to anything. They have to be speaking, not just to the word of God, clear interpretation of the word of God has to be clear and not just clear but it has to be simple confusion is not the word of God it is clear to the point that even a child can understand but they couldn't see it because they were under the law 
They couldn't recognize grace until you're saved by it. Please understand something. You don't know grace until you're saved by it. Until your eyes have been opened to your own need for salvation, you'll never understand the grace of God. Grace was limited to an external salvation by Moses, the judges, the kings, and the prophets that saved the national Israel. But now grace was to become internal, applying Christ's sacrificial death to the hearts and the souls of humanity as they believed in the gospel message and transforming people from the inside out. They understood after they were filled with the Spirit. Listen to Christ's answer and we'll close. He said to them, he gives them an answer. It's not what they wanted to hear, but he gives them an answer. He gives them a biblical answer. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What he's saying is, final restoration belongs to God alone and you should not be preoccupied with political power. It's not about political power. It is about the kingdom of God. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Understand something, the equipping of the Holy Spirit, empowering of God's people for the preaching of God's good news, for the advancements of God's kingdom in God's world. First to the local Jew in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and take it to the end of the world. Go to the filthiest pagan who hates God and tell the filthiest pagan who hates God that God loves them and died for them and offers them a free drink from the waters of salvation without money, without cost. Just look up and see what the Christ has done for you. But before they could do that, they had to wait. They were waiting upon God's spirit to advance a spiritual message. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Man's reason and man's cunning does not advance the kingdom of God in the hearts of sinners. Only the transforming and mighty power of the Holy Spirit of God and the beginning of good, effective ministry is waiting. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Waiting teaches dependence on God. It's something man is not familiar with. Even saved men, even us as Christians, we don't like waiting on God. We like to pray and say, Pastor, how come God didn't answer my prayer? I prayed last night and things haven't changed yet. And God's going to have to, well, you know, God, God's going to teach. Oh, I don't want to even learn anything. When I was first saved, I, I just opened up my Bible and I got an answer. And, and I prayed and I got an answer. And I'm like, all right, that means oh, you're definitely a new Christian because God does everything for the new Christian. But then God tests our faith and all of a sudden life gets very difficult and uncomfortable. And God is teaching us, waiting on him. And that's the beginning of effective ministry. Let me explain something to you as I close it. To be used effectively by God in witnessing of the objective truths of Christianity. I come up here and I proclaim a death. Well, yeah, I can proclaim the death of Islam, of Muhammad and Buddha and others, but I proclaim the resurrection of Christ. 
That's an objective truth. I didn't see it. The Bible teaches me. How can I possibly impress that truth upon your heart by human cunning? Are you going to believe because Brian Martin says so? Are you going to lay down your life and love the sin and love God because I encourage you to do that? Are you going to see yourself the way the Bible says as a sinner under the wrath of God because I said it? The Holy Spirit's job. For me to proclaim objective truth, I have to have the subjective reality of it. I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. I've experienced the washing of the Holy Spirit. I have experienced uh, the, the, the love of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is an experience with the truth. Not apart from the truth. Again, I'm going to say it. Make no mistake about it. Christianity is the only genuine spiritual experience in this world. Everything else is a counterfeit. The New Age gurus and all their experiences is a counterfeit of Satan. Anything Islam throws out is a counterfeit of Satan. Anything the Buddhists speak about in the Nirvana and their search is a counterfeit of Satan. Any experience that does not get me to see Jesus Christ on the cross dying for me is a counterfeit experience. All the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does is to apply the truth of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. That's how you know the criteria of a genuine spiritual experience. And God gives this to us to be his witnesses. To share our experience of what Christ has done for us on the cross. All believers get this when you're born again. If you're saved... You have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a second blessing. You don't need a rebaptizing. As soon as you're saved, you're filled with the fullness of the Spirit and baptized into the body of Christ. You're a member of the body of Christ. But we need to nurture that power. We need to practice it. We need to use it. We need to develop it. And we need to pray. We need to depend on God. Even in the fourth chapter, we see the apostles, because of the fear of man, guess what they were doing? They were praying to be filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, 431. And it says the room was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, as Christians, we can neglect it. The very thing you were saved for one of the things you were saved for was to be a witness of for Christ. To share your testimony, no matter how crazy people think we are. You're called to do that. That's not just my job. I do it because I love the Lord. And I know it's part. Everyone I can see in this room, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you're saved, it is your duty to share Christ. It's your duty. And when we don't, and time goes on, 
and we neglect that duty, we can get weak in that area. Listen to First, Second Timothy. Can we pull that up? Paul tells Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and sound mind. Therefore, because of these things, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for Christ. Do you know the fear of man and the fear of a reprisal and the fear of what people are going to think about my hurt my reputation? Get people to stop talking about Christians. And, and they stop talking and, and, and a year goes by and a decade goes by and two decades go by and, and they, they don't even know how to get out of the trap of speaking up for God. They have to fan into flame. Zeal for God again. It's the only answer the Bible gives. It's the only one. If you're a Christian, it is your duty along with the rest of us to share Christ in our little Jerusalem. I am not called to be an apostolic evangelist uh, to the world. I'm called to be a witness to Bay Ridge, to my family, to my friends, and to my neighbors, my co-workers. That's your job, and that's my job. That's our job. We do it differently. I'm going to close with this. We're not called to hit the streets, raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, Open up the eyes of the blind. Raise the paralytic off his mat. Some people believe that. And if that happens, bless them. Bless them. We don't believe that. We're a local congregation. And God uses us over a prolonged period of time in our friends, in our families, in our communities to speak about Christ and live for Christ and share Christ with friends and family and neighbors over a prolonged period of time, and God will give the increase. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the word. God, I thank you for just clarifying some things, Lord God, about restoring the kingdom, God, that it's a heart, one soul at a time, one heart at a time, one mind at a time, one person at a time, God, and 2,000 years later, that's what you're doing right now. You're, you're saving people, God. They're hearing about the resurrection. They're hearing about the kingdom of God. They're hearing about a new heart. They're hearing about forgiveness of sins. They're hearing about a new direction, a new purpose for living. They're hearing about worshiping you and living for you. They're hearing about your Holy Spirit. They're hearing about the Holy Spirit doing great things on the inside, Father God. And I pray, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to people today. And I ask everyone in this room, if God has spoken to your heart this morning or this afternoon, and you know that God is doing something in your life, and you desire to have that forgiveness, you desire to see the resurrection, you desire to have your names written in the land book of life, God's calling you to be saved. If you have that with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Do not be ashamed as God calls you into the kingdom of God. Do not be ashamed that God is speaking to your hearts.
Just ask Christ to come into your life and forgive you and start a brand new work. And for Christians whose witness has grown cold, who have lost their way, the, the fear of man or just other things, they just they lost that zeal, that child. Like if you're here today, just fan into flame. Ask the Lord to fan into flame the gift He's given you when you accepted Christ, when you were born again. And start a fresh new work of evangelism in your own little neck of the world. Father God, bless us, we ask in Christ's name.